Welcome to the Redeemer Coast podcast. Our prayer is that this message will inspire hope, build your faith, and encourage you with God's purposes for your life. that's alive, the word that's powerful, the word that's sharp, and the word that um, forces issues in our life and creates and demolishes and builds up and, and strengthens and heals and prospers. And we thank you for this living word, this word that is alive, that's not a sleepy word, doesn't put us to bed, wakes us up, it gives us a future, it brings light to our path and lamp to our feet. It shows us where we are and shows us where we're to go. And we thank you for it. We thank you for it today, the grace to impart what you would say to this church this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I like this for midgets because the further away my notes are, the better I can see. And uh, I wanted to talk to today, soon it's Communion Sunday, I wanted to talk about, who, who belongs to this? The Lamb of God. And uh, I was drawn to a passage of scripture in John 1.29 where John the Baptist uh, beholds Jesus and he makes his comment to those around him and they include uh, Pharisees, religious leaders and things. And and he draws attention to a man and he says, Behold, and he he doesn't say it quietly, there's an exclamation mark, Behold, look. The Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, or who takes away the sin of the world. And that's interesting. Uh, He doesn't say who covers up the sin of the world. He said he takes it away. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And for a believer, uh, we've got to understand where we stand in the light of that particular word, sin. We've got to understand what happened on the cross. We have to behold the Lamb of God. We have to look. And um, kingdom words don't always come in a nice package with a ribbon around it. <laughs> I'll say it like that. Often they are not understood by the intellect. They are gripped by or laid hold of by the human heart. And, and so a lot of, many of Jesus' disciples, after he said some words that blew them out, that he said they walked with him no more. And, and I find that's interesting because for John to say, to point to a man and say, behold the Lamb of God, I mean, that's a bit... And Jesus said this, um, well, let me first go to Numbers chapter 21, verse 7 to 9. So what Jesus was looking at, or what John was looking at, was the Lamb of God, and what he wanted us to look at was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So, in Numbers 21, verse 7 to 9, the children of Israel were very naughty, they were murmuring, God wasn't happy, and serpents came in and started biting them, and and they were dying. And it's interesting, it says, Therefore the people came to Moses, in verse 7, and said, We've sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. 
So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was if a serpent had bitten anyone, they looked. And that word look means to discern as much as it means to just look at. But they were in a place where they had to think about because what does the serpent represent? Well, sin. And the serpent was lifted up for them to behold and look at. And when they beheld that serpent, those that were bitten were able to live. And Jesus said these words, if Moses lifted up that serpent, so I must be lifted up. So the son of um, man must be lifted up. So just as the serpent was lifted up to be looked upon, Jesus was lifted up to be looked upon, to behold, to discern that what was lifted up was on our behalf. And what, what do we discern about him? We can only discern about him what is written. We can't discern about him based on our own expectation or intellect. It's based on what is written. So behold the Lamb of God who takes away. So Jesus was lifted up to take away, not to cover not to pacify, but to actually take away, remove it once and for all. And so they looked at the serpent, but not only their action, but the consequence of their action was nullified. Isn't that interesting? The consequence of their action was nullified. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up to what? To nullify the consequence of our action, to take away the sin of the world. The church is the last place on this earth that should be sin conscious. It is the place where people come to have their sins removed through the message that they hear. So we don't carry an expectation or a judgmental expectation on people. We look at people in the light of behold. Look at him who takes away the sin of the world. Um, so what does that mean for us? Romans 6.26 talks about the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is contrast. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but we behold and we look at and we discern and we come into life. Jesus said, the words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. They're not words that fit your intellect. And, and uh, you know, Grant was talking uh, about the various churches. I grew up in, in a denominational church. I was Baptist. And we grew up, as a young boy, I, I would go to some prayer meetings and I'd hear words like, uh, we're just sinners, Lord, during prayer, we're sinners. Well, if that's true, then the scripture will bear witness to the fact that we're sinners. And um, Romans chapter, well, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14 talks about this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 says, Every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sin. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away. 
But when the priests brought their offerings, when the people brought their offerings, their sins were not removed, were not taken away, they were covered. But this man, this is the good news for us, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice, one, one sacrifice, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. Boy, by that one offering, by that one offering, what does it say? He has perfected forever those who have been sanctified. By one offering, he has perfected forever. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away. And when sin is taken away, what's left? Perfection. And I find the Christian walk is, or the Christian journey is, is a place where you come to Christ and let's just say this black tape here is your starting point and you, you're in the kingdom of darkness and you step into the kingdom of light and your journey begins. But the interesting thing about the journey, everything you will ever be, everything happened right then. Right then. You were saved then. You were healed then. You became prosperous then. You know what I'm saying? So to walk along here for the next 50 years and tell everybody that you're still a sinner, you're not connected to the life that you've been given. You're deceived, you're misled, and it's going to influence and affect the way you live your life. It just will. Sin is the worst thing for a believer to be full of, conscious of, fighting all the time. So from here we pass from darkness to light. We come from outside the kingdom of darkness and inside the kingdom of God's dear Son. And we could have a blackboard up here and we could write up all the things that are in the kingdom of darkness and all the things that are in the kingdom of light. And when we step here, we are now in the kingdom of light, whether we feel like it, whether circumstances are, are witnessing to it, whether people are saying it or not, it doesn't matter. You've moved from there to here. Your sins are removed. You've been perfected. They're taken away. But the first thing, we cannot find any of these places lest we first behold. And we've got to understand, as Moses was lifted up in the, as a, in the wilderness, what happened when Jesus was lifted up? You know, it's not just about our sins were forgiven. It's about they were obliterated. They were taken away. And so now we're told to awake to righteousness and sin not. Awake to righteousness and sin not. Um, Romans chapter 6 is a great chapter because it demolishes sin in the life of a believer. If you go to Romans chapter 7 without going to Romans chapter 6, you're going to find yourself still under sin. But Romans chapter 7 is written in the light of someone in the Old Covenant trying to find their way to do the right thing. Romans 6, Romans chapter 6, actually opens the door and talks about sin and talks about your relationship with it, which is non-existent. Why? Because the Lamb of God takes it away. If he didn't take it away, then we're still under it. But he took it away. And the scriptures say awake to righteousness. And I like Vine's definition of righteousness. It talks about how the man who trusts in Christ becomes in Christ all that God requires a man to be. When? Right now. 
all that God requires a man to be, all that he could never be in himself. It is unobtainable by obedience to any law or any other condition other than faith in Christ. I tell you, this is good news for us. This is a great way to start the year. But the Jews had to come to this every year when they, when they had their sacrifices. We're brought into a place of remembrance. You know, communion is a place to behold and to look. It's not a place to be, to be under and remember poor old Jesus. I remember when we went through Europe and of all the cathedrals we went through, the statues and pictures, whatever, it was all poor Jesus dead or on the cross or dead, on the cross or dead, until we went to Venice and I found two paintings of the resurrection in two different churches and I was thrilled. So look at that, there's life here in this old town. <laughs> Somebody saw something. They saw a resurrected Jesus. He wasn't just dead. He's alive. He was raised up. Anyway, so the scriptures say, you yourselves reckon yourselves dead to sin but alive to God. Reckon yourself dead to sin, alive to God. Rome, that's Romans 6.11. Romans 6.18, and there's another scripture there but I didn't write it down. And having been set free from sin, you become a slave to righteousness. What does that mean? You're not thinking about what's wrong, you're thinking about what's right. You're thinking about how accepted you are. You're thinking about how loved you are. You're not thinking about the thing that, that troubles you because if you understand the nature of sin, you're set free from it. You're set free from it. And, and this is walking in the light is not being a goody little two-shoes it's walking in the truth of God's word. And if he says you're free from sin and you've got stuff going on in your life, guess what? You're free from sin. And that's what will help you overcome any obstacle that you have a problem with, is knowing that he paid the price for you to be free from it. It's gone. And that's what gives you the strength to overcome in life. And, and, you know, we all face things in life. I can tell you some things I've faced. My goodness. But I always come back to this. I always come back to I'm loved by God, I'm accepted by God, there's no accusation against me, nothing bad happened to me because I did something wrong. Whatever's happened in life needs to be overcome. And to overcome in life, let me say this, you need to have a confidence that this sin issue is not on your head, it's removed from you. Because then you start, if you don't, you start justifying your negative circumstances and things that go wrong in your life. You start justifying it and giving it a place, giving it a toehold. Give no place to the devil, the Bible says. Give no place. He's the accuser. He's a liar. You know, you just have to look around now and ups down and downs up and everything's back to front and upside down. It's just bizarre. It's crazy. Isn't it? It is. We need to, we need to walk in the absolutes. And we need to understand we don't follow an intellectual uh, gospel. We follow a gospel of the spirit. Jesus said the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. And you might sit here today and say, well, I don't believe that. Well, you're not in the spirit. You're not getting the life that is in the Word. And the life that is in the Word separates you, sets you free. Take a breath, man. Take a breath. Let it out. My wife used to be a, um, a rouseabout. 
and she'd, she'd assist the shearers. That's all right. She's <laughs> and and um, she says some, sometimes out in the West Australian uh, regions, country regions, sometimes sheep would miss a couple of seasons of shearing and they'd come in just full of wool and they can hardly move, right? And this is what happens with Christians. They get so loaded down. And what Grant was saying this morning, side journey, side journey, the average Christian these days goes to church once a month. You can't live an overcoming life hearing the word once a month. You, you, you can't. You need the knowledge of God's word. You need this. You need something to give us a substance so that you, like these sheep, after three years in the wilderness, get shorn and they walk out like drunk men. They're so liberated and free and happy and kicking their heels up. <laughs> That's us. Every time we hear the word, the scriptures say that God called us to be ministers of the new covenant. It's a better covenant. It's based on better promises. And... Um, The greatest thing you can know in your struggle against sin is that you already have been freed from it. The greatest thing you can know. There's a disconnect. Why? Because the Lamb of God took it away. He took it away. It's gone. And so there's been a disconnect, as I said before, from the kingdom of darkness. There's a disconnect. There's a disconnect from the old covenant. And it's interesting, um, Jeremiah the prophet, Israel became a nation of covenant breakers and God told them, if you break this covenant, you'll be evicted from the land I've given you. And they kept breaking the covenant and God was merciful to them and kind to them. But it came a day he said, no more, you're out. And so Israel had to leave the land of Israel and go into captivity and... Um, as they were leaving, Jeremiah the prophet gave them a promise about a new covenant that was to come. And he said it won't be like the old covenant where sin bested them every time. He said this will be a different covenant. Let me just read, it's found in a few passages of scripture, but I wanted to read it out of Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8, starting in verse 8. Ellen, have I got um, 18 minutes. Oh, sweet. <laughs> yep, good. Got 10 minutes. Because finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers. So the new covenant doesn't look like the old covenant. It's different. Christians have got no business getting hooked up with old covenant stuff because... It's nothing like the new covenant and vice versa. So, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant, I disregarded them. Now he says this, and this is kind of like the covenant of the covenant that was to come. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. I'll put my laws in their mind. I'll write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them will teach his neighbour saying, none his brother saying, know the Lord. In other words, you can find God for yourself in whatever situation you're in. 
None of them. And in the early days of Pentecost, there were some pretty crazy things where people would would um, prophesy over each other. <laughs> the next thing you know, someone who had no heart for Africa would be off to Africa because somebody said, I believe the Lord wants you to go to Africa, which contrasts, contradicts what I'm reading to you. You can know the will of God for your life, for yourself. He'll talk to you. Um, and none will teach his uh, neighbour say, know the Lord. From the least of them to the greatest of them, for, the, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. Sorry. For I will be, I will be, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. How good is that? I will be merciful. What's this? This is the covering letter of the new covenant. I will be merciful. I need mercy when I mess up. And, and you know, there's no different degrees of messing up. Anyway, I won't go there. I'll keep going. And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Why will he remember them no more? Because he took them away. A new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. I love that. And Jesus said, Jesus said on the night he was betrayed, this is the new covenant in my blood. This is the new covenant. And so Jeremiah had already given the covenant. And I just want to make this statement before we go into communion. I think this is my favourite scripture when it comes to the things of the covenant in Galatians chapter 3, verse 15. It says, Brethren, I speak in the manner of men. Though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed... No one annuls to it or adds to it. No one annuls or adds to it, even in a man's covenant. I remember Stanley, uh, Dr Livingston and others who witnessed uh, covenant rituals throughout Africa and various parts of Asia said they've never known, they've never known a situation where somebody had broken, willingly broken a covenant. They were so strong and binding and that's why Jesus... And, and, and the Father entered into covenants because people could understand what covenants were. But this, this, is, this is interesting. It says, if it's a covenant, even if it's a man's covenant, no one can add to it or take it away. In other words, what Jesus said about this new covenant that was coming from the book of Jeremiah cannot be adjusted. You can't adjust. God can't adjust covenant. It can't be moved. You can't move the goalposts. If he said something about what this new covenant would be like, then that's the way it is. The everlasting covenant is not going to change. And it's not going to change to suit my doctrine. If I want to bring in a little condemnation to make sure you're all sitting up straight and looking lovely, which you are, <laughs> I can't add or adjust these words to suit my own. I have to change. I'm, I'm the minister of the new covenant and suddenly I can't walk into the prayer meeting and tell people that I'm a sinner. I can't sit there and pray that. Why? Because it goes against the new covenant. It goes against that which cannot be changed. God is not going to change his mind. And uh, I like the fact that, that he's bound himself to this. Man, you're free to do what you like. He's, bound, he's not. He, this is an everlasting covenant that he spoke words out of this covenant and out of the blood of his son 
he spoke these words which cannot be adjusted, which cannot be changed for convenience, which cannot be regulated to second place under something you're trying to bring out of the old covenant. New covenant trumps everything. If your sins are removed, they're removed. Stop trying to look for a justification of why stuff goes wrong in your life. Forget that. <laughs> That's called the curse of the law. And God gave every man, woman and child, every he didn't give it to them, they took it. The knowledge of good and evil. We all have a law going on in our outer man, in our head, justifying, accusing. And that's why we need to come to this word and renew our mind to this word, which takes final trump so that when your mind accuses someone, and it will, when your flesh rises up, you tell it to shut up because why? You have knowledge. You have knowledge. You have knowledge of God's word. Yeah, they're crazy words, all right, but they're life and their spirit. And the reason we embrace them is because we behold. We look to the Lamb of God. We discern. We get better than we deserve. You know, it's, um, communion is a reminder of the price paid for redemption promises. It's not just a reminder of the price paid, but it's we look at him in the light of what it was all about, what redemption is. And it's about setting people free. It's about removing their past. It's about laying out a good future, that, it, that this new covenant is a lamp to our feet and it is a light to our path. And it's good news and it lifts us up. It doesn't hold us down. It lifts us and propels us forward and into life we go, convinced of some things. Convinced that God is for us. Convinced there's nothing holding us back. Convinced that everything, every chain has been removed. Convinced that, okay, we may have a sin-conscious mind, well, we're going to change that right now because we're a righteous-minded people. We're new covenant thinkers. We're not old covenant thinkers. We're not, we're not the knowledge of good and evil thinkers. We're new covenant thinkers. And we think in the light of what Jesus did. Behold, look at, discern the Lamb of God who was lifted up like Moses lifted up that devil in the wilderness. And that's what that thing represented, the sin that those people deserved to be in that place, but it was placed on the pole so that they could look and Jesus became sin for us. All right? So let's kick into this year. Fully adjusted in that light, there's plenty more. <laughs> there's plenty more. But it's good to know the Word of God. It's good to put it in your heart. It's good to study it because it can be the difference between life and death. It can be the difference. It is the difference between success and failure. Thank you for listening. We trust that you've been encouraged by the message. Please consider leaving a review and subscribing to receive new content. For more information about Redeemer Coast, visit www.redeemercoast.com. Or find us on social media where our handles are at Redeemer Coast. Until next time.